I'm David Clayton, and this is the Way of Beauty podcast, conversations on Catholic faith and culture. This is episode 59. I'm here with an old friend of mine, Jim Woodward, who's an Englishman uh, living in Southern California, Orange County. Um, How long have you been down there, Jim? I've lived here for three years now. Three years, okay. And we met in London. We were just talking just before we started recording this. Uh, Jim told me it was 24 years ago now, a long time. Um, And uh, you went through the process with the same guy that um, took me through it, David Bertwistle. And so it'll be interesting to hear your impressions of him. And and we've stayed in touch ever since, uh, fairly consistently over that period. So why don't you just, uh, first of all, just introduce yourself. What do you do? You know, where, what are you doing now? Just, just to give us a little bit of the picture. And then um, we'll go back to uh, how you met David and uh, how you got drawn into the, the process, how he sold it to you, so to speak. So what, what, what do you do at the moment? And what, you know, what's, he, what's your background? A little, just a little bit about yourself. In terms of work at the moment, I, um, I'm co-owner of a uh, distribution business in, in men's fashion. Um, so I, I, um, I run the company. I, I import a very successful brand of uh, men's fashion from Germany uh, to the US, and I wholesale it here. Um, I'm also involved in a, in a kind of um, a, a tech company as well, which has just, just started. Um, so that's my kind of business background. Right. Um, and let's go back then. And you're currently um, a Catholic. You're a believer. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Uh, I describe myself as a devout Catholic. I'm very serious about my faith. Yeah, and we, that's something we've shared over the years. And of course, I let, let's go back right to the um, 24 years ago. Then, so. Uh, you're a, I should mention that you're a convert, so you weren't a Catholic at this point, but uh, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. But um, just, just tell us the story of your impressions of meeting David and how he brought you into this process and how it, how it changed your, your life um, in the early days. Okay, well, actually, my this may sound quite dramatic, but it's... It's, uh, it's what happened. And I actually met David, yeah, around about 24 years ago in, in West London uh, through friends. And it was actually a, a night when I decided I was going to uh, kill myself. I was going to, I've been very miserable for a very long time. And, um, and I had um, kind of made that decision that I, that I, that I wanted to do that. And, um, that very evening, um, I, you know, through a friend, I, I, I met David, and it was a bleak November night, and um, I was obviously in a very, very poor mental and physical state. Um, I was facing homelessness, um, and this was one reason why I just couldn't bear to go on any longer. And um, so, yeah, my first impression of David was um, was quite. Um, something really you know, he he just came across as a um incredibly um 
he had something about him um, and he seemed, you know, kind of more concerned about me than anyone I'd ever met. And I'd never met him before. It was my first time I met him. And he just, he, um, yeah, he just had a tremendous amount of compassion and this kind of sincerity about him um, and, and a way that made me feel um, that there was hope. And, and, and he gave me a lot of kind of reassurance. And, and he said that um, he could help me with this process. Yeah. And, and that things could, could be a, could really dramatically change for me. Um, right. How old were you at this stage, Jim? Uh, 24. 24. Yeah. Uh, so very, a youthful 24 plus 24 now. Um, and uh, just tell us a little bit about uh, more, because I know that you were more than just unhappy. I mean, I can remember seeing you at that time. Mm. Um, and just tell us a little bit about how bad it was for you at that point. Yeah, well, you know, my mental state was 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 very bad. Um, you know, I was I was most definitely psychotic. You know, I was um, not all there. I had a, 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 about a year prior to uh, meeting David, I had actually been sectioned into. Uh, mental asylum. Um, so I was 23 at that time. Uh, I was sectioned into a mental asylum, which means, you know, by law I had to go and I wasn't allowed to be uh, released until I'd been assessed as being safe, I suppose, and sane enough to go back into the real world. Um, so um, that's how I was a year prior to meeting David, you know, in, in a mental asylum, um, diagnosed as psychotic, um, you know, whereby I, you know, I was, I was having paranoid delusions of grandeur. Um, I was incredibly depressed. Um, you know, I, I suffered from, you know, severe anxiety attacks and things like that. Um, and then fast forward a year to the time that I met David, um, my mental state was possibly even worse than it was when I was incarcerated in the mental asylum. Um, so it was very bad, you know, I was hallucinating. I was very, very, very paranoid. Right. And at a point where I just, I was so I, fearful um, that, you know, I just, I just wanted to, you know, kill myself just to be, to be done with it basically. Wow. Uh, serious stuff. Um, so, uh, what, how did he deal with this initially? Uh, and can you tell us a little bit about, I remember you telling me a story about how he telephoned your dad. I mean, this must have been terrible for your, for your father. I remember meeting your dad. And... Yeah, um, so I remember that. Yeah, so the other thing actually to, to mention that, you know, rewind back here, yeah, I, was, I was put on um, very high levels of medication. Right mental asylum um 60 milligrams a day i think it was a diazepam which was like an extremely high dosage and um i then i had kind of stopped i, I came i left the mental asylum i carried on taking it and then i stopped after a while and i became um what you might some people would describe as catatonic i just couldn't really function um so then after i met david 
um, I he asked me, you know, he actually I didn't have anywhere to live, so you know he 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 he, uh, he put me up for a couple of nights um, at his place, um, and. I remember him asking me, what's the thing you're most worried about? Because he could see that I was incredibly distressed. And I said, well, actually, I'm probably most worried that, you know, my family, my dad in particular, don't know whether I'm alive or dead because I hadn't seen them for about two weeks. Um, and we've left in, uh, in, in a very bad way. Um, so he immediately kind of offered to make a phone call to my dad just to, to, to reassure him and tell him that I was alive and well. And I did, you know, I did find out later my father thought I might have died, um, you know, at some point or, or, you know, killed myself or something. So David called, I remember David calling my dad and, um, and just kind of reassured him that I was alive and well. And I remember actually what the first um, thing my dad said i could tell what he was saying was you know um what about his medication i've got that here you know he needs that doesn't he and, and, and i remember david saying well actually um with this kind of process that i can help him with he 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 won't necessarily need it um and he, he kind of reassured my dad i remember i i think my dad we used to, uh, you know there's this term mind over matter I remember my dad saying, oh, is it a kind of mind over matter thing that you're doing then? And, and David said, yeah, it's some, something of that nature, yeah. Um, can't hear you, I'm afraid. No, that's okay. I should have unmuted, yep. To anyone who's listening, <laughs> um, we should explain that uh, your um, your mother um, died when you were young, and that's yeah. why she wasn't around. At this yeah, point. yeah. So it, it was your dad who uh, we he was contacting. Um, okay, so take us from that point on. What what did David do? So what did David do? He so of course my instant reaction was you know I was so used to. Um, you know, taking something to help me with my mental state, um, that that was a, a big issue for me. And I remember, and, and I remember that when that phone call with my dad finished, and I said, "Oh, what about medication?" Because I could go and see my doctor in West London, and he said, "No, you know, why don't you just try and rely on on this process?" Um, and he, knowing that I was um, very kind of agnostic. I didn't. I didn't really have any religious upbringing. He was, yeah. very, um, let's say, gentle with with the approach of, of um, you know, having a you know, like a what we might call a spiritual solution to my my mental problem, um, but to you know, a higher power. And he said, you know, um, I've got you know, I can show you this process for that will enable you to um, uh, get help from a higher power to, to help with, with your kind of mental state and, and the fear and the anxiety, that was a, a big thing for me and, and just, and the depression. Um, so he just then gave me this, um, these kind of this daily routine um, to, to do, which he assured me would, would help me enormously. Um, and I must say actually, pro prior to that experience with the phone call to my dad and so forth, I. I, the previous evening I'd, I'd been in David's company 
and he gave me the um, the Serenity Prayer um, written on a card. Uh, I'd never seen that before. Um, I'd never um, I'd never really said any formal prayers, any prayers um, other than maybe a, f a few our fathers in school assembly or a wedding or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I was given this prayer, which was quite a, an unusual thing for me. And, um, and he said that if I ever felt anxious or fearful, that I was to just say this prayer to um, kind of repeat it over and over. He used the word mantra. I never even heard that word. He said, you know, repeat <laughs> prayer like a mantra. So I had, I did that. I, I, I was feeling very, very, very paranoid um, and really fearful. Um, so I, I, I did it and, and I, so I, I said the prayer, I had it, it was on a card, you know, and I just read it over and over to myself and, um, and I have to say that the fear dissipated, um, you know, this, and it was, it was incredible, it was intense fear, um, beyond the usual kind of anxiety attack and panic attack that I'd had, and I'd had panic attacks that took me into hospital in the past. Um, so I had that experience so then when David you know the following day said you know don't worry about medication and you know this process will enable you to um, address your kind of mental state without that um, I, I had some kind of faith a little bit of faith already because of the, the power of this prayer that I'd, that I'd experienced the night before um, so he gave me the kind of routine to do and he explained it to me and said if you do these things um, you know, you could, it, will, it will start to help to alleviate your kind of um, depression, um, the anxiety, and, and just my general inability to kind of function really as a human being. Um, and, he, and he implored me that I could have a good day if I you know, did these things, which were praying in the morning, you know, um, getting on my knees, which was, he said was vital, and asking, you know, my higher power, he said, you know, your higher power, whatever you want that to be. To look after you that day um, and then he uh, suggested that I kind of write this gratitude list each day um, use the serenity prayer throughout the day um, you know to, to do some spiritual reading those were the kind of main things yeah. and to pray for people that I was angry upset with um, and to try and do some good works each day yeah um, so he kind of gave me those things, and and um, and that was it. He said, "If you do those, I, I guarantee you'll be a you'll be a new, if I remember his words, he said, I guarantee you'll be a, a new man, uh, a completely changed man in six months' time, and and within a week, you'll you'll notice a huge difference." Wow. Okay, so that people who've heard me talk about this process before will be familiar, I think, with the things you're describing, um, and uh that's similar to my experience i wasn't as uh in such a, a dark place as you but i i was uh i was very miserable and i was given these this daily routine um and then I, i'm assuming in a similar way you went through this process um how long did it take you to go through the whole process that um whole process i dragged my feet a little bit more than others okay <laughs> about 18 months okay and uh really 
so I was aware of you at this point because we, we had David as a mutual friend. And so I would see you. And um, I don't think I was aware at the time how bad you were. I mean, when I saw you, you seemed to be pretty together, actually. I, I can remember is my sense of you. Well-dressed. <laughs> um, and uh, I can remember that. Um, and then uh, David uh, died. He had a heart attack um uh, at a certain point and then we kept sort of came together when you were about to embark on the the sort of wildest dreams part uh, yeah i remember yeah and so that's where i started to get to know you because we were sharing our ideas and our dreams so perhaps you can just just tell us a little bit of the story um of, of that side of it your, your career and how that developed, uh, and we'll come back to your faith after that. I think your, your faith development. Okay, um, so my career at that time. I mean, when I first met David, when I was twenty-four. As I said, I was near, I was nearing homelessness, and I had no job or anything like that. Um, I wouldn't have been capable of working. Um, and I just during the period of going through the the. The efficiency process. I I was just basically doing um, very low level office work just to kind of pay my way, basically. Um, and I had, to, you know, I graduated from a you know a pretty good university somehow, um, despite my mental problems. And um, so I was, you know, I was pretty well educated. Um, and um, you know, but so I and you know, I had many of my peers were were doing very well in their careers. So once I'd done the vision for you process, that was the level that I was at. And then I was ready to try and start embarking on a, you know, having a career of, um, you know, my dreams really, you know, and David said that I, you know, that this was very possible to have something to do something I love. So I, I, I actually took a while really to kind of discern what I really wanted to do. I wasn't someone who automatically when, when David's, kind of presented me with this and then and, and yourself as well because we started talking about it that you know you can try and do something for a for a for work for a career which you um really enjoy and kind of uses your, you know your talents to the full um i was definitely not one of those people who could go oh yes i know what that is for me that is yeah. art or that is music or something i i kind of um I struggled a little bit in trying to discern, you know, what is it that I really en enjoy doing? I couldn't really put my finger on it. Um, and I didn't, because I suppose I was looking for something that was, um, like, let's say, spiritual or really beyond the norm. So I thought, you know, that it must be something, because I knew that, you know, I knew you were embarking on a, on a, a career art and beauty and so forth and they knew that David had, had done that so I thought that therefore I must be um, there must be something like this for me and I thought of music and so forth even though I've never played an instrument in my life and I, I wouldn't want to know what a musical note is um, so it took me a little while and um, what after a, um, you know I looked at getting into politics a little bit because that was my degree and then I and I was enjoyed that, um, but it didn't really go anywhere. And I had I did start to get some more interesting jobs which were involved in politics. But then, um, 
it was about the time I became a Catholic, actually, um, exactly that time. I was still kind of umming and ahhing, and basically, you know, I feel like um, because I couldn't see what I wanted to do, it kind of fell from the sky, so to speak, and, and I got involved in business with my father, um, which was incredible um, mm. to, to uh, uh, you know, go into partnership with him in business. And um, it was much more of a, let's say, ordinary thing. I basically went into um, fat men's fashion business with my dad. Um, and when the opportunity arose, I realized actually, um, with a bit of insight from yourself as well, that you know, my biggest passion in life had always been clothing. Um, and I couldn't see it. I, I didn't really see it. Um, I, ever since I was very small, I, I, was, I just loved uh, clothing. I, and my dad was in that business. Yeah, so he had a shop, didn't he? It, it, yeah. it, he wasn't manufacturing. He was selling at, at a high street shop, a men's, a, a very nice men's outfitters in Rygate or something, in Surrey somewhere, wasn't Surrey, it? Surrey, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I remember he was a good salesman because I walked in to meet him and I came out with a jacket and a pair of trousers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and I hadn't intended in buying anything when I walked in, I remember, um, when I met him. So, uh, so, you, so you went into business with your dad and opened a shop effectively. Yeah. Dang. So. Yeah. It was quite amazing, really. So I I then made this decision um, because I also I was living in London at the time and and, um, and I realised that actually um, that, that life existed outside London back in, you know, the countryside where I'd kind of been brought up. So yeah. I decided that I wanted to move back to the countryside and, and go into business with my dad. And something really quite amazing happened because I you know, was going to sell myself short and, and, and work with my father in his shop. Um, that's what I wanted to do. And I thought that would be, that would be wonderful to do that. Um, and then one day he was, um, I was at work in London. He was on the, on the, he was dealing with a, um, a sales agent who was selling him this brand of trousers. He overheard my dad on the phone to me during my lunch hour. Which, which in American, by the way, trousers is pants. Pants, of course. <laughs> um, so this, this salesman overheard my dad on the phone to me kind of saying, no, I think we should get you your own shop um, and run it, of course, which was um, you know, amazing prospect for me. But I also thought, gosh, that's way beyond what I'm capable of of doing you know managing running my own stop anyway so this guy overheard my conversation with my dad um and when my dad got off the phone he says he's you know are you looking for a, a shop or something he said yeah i think you know my son's going to come into the business and, and and i think it'd be great if we had his own shop and so this guy so i know of a shop um <laughs> this is about an, over the other side of the county um where this guy is just basically looking to retire and, and actually just giving his his business a very profitable business it was actually better than my dad's business um, <laughs> so a few months later i found myself taking that business over um and the guy he kind of just pretty much gave it to us because he for sentimental reasons he wanted his 
his shop to be, continue as a menswear shop um, because it had been his father's before him. So um, there I found myself with this menswear shop um, doing something that, yeah, was way beyond anything I could have ever imagined, really. And I did that for a, a few years. Yeah, and so tell the story. How how did it? Um, how did you go from there to being in Orange County, from a, a men's outfit? That's a very good question. Um, through the grace of God, of course. Um, so I, you know, I continued with that business for it was a good few years, and I built it and I opened up another shop eventually. So I had two, and um, and it was all going pretty well. Um, you know, it was good, and then. I, uh, about 10 years ago, I made my first trip ever to the States, came to visit yourself and, and, and your brother um, yeah. in San Francisco. And um, I just loved it. I just absolutely loved being in California. Um, and I remember thinking, you know, I would love to, to move here. I just, I'd love, this is me. I, I belong here. I belong in, in California. Um, which just seems like a, a, a pipe, a complete pipe dream, you know, to, to be able to move over. I had the business in the UK. Um, I had leases and in, 10 employees and, and everything else on the property and, and so forth. And, and uh, anyway, so, but I had this, I definitely, you know, I, I loved the States and I used to come and uh, I started visiting the States once or twice a year, taking vacations. Um, but never really saw it as a serious prospect to actually develop a business in America and move here. It just wasn't on the cards for me, I, you know, as a serious proposition. And then um, about six years ago, I, I had just returned from America from a vacation. And um, this chap who happened to be the same salesman who, who connected me with the the guy who gave me my first business. Uh, really, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, same same guy. Yeah, wow. my business partner now. So he um, he knew that I wanted to move to America. I had this kind of dream, this crazy dream that this is where I wanted to be. And he he was the main sales agent for this very successful um, brand of pants from Germany. Very successful, um, and I sold this brand of pants in my my in my shops i think we can mention them there's no harm in that maya maya m-e-y-e-r yeah um you know very very successful uh, company from germany um and he knew that i wanted to move to america and he just popped this idea into my head that i maya don't export to america um and then maybe he and I, as a combination, as a partnership, could could do it because I was an you know a single guy, so I was in a position where I could just do all the travelling that would be necessary to mm. um, basically bring this brand to to uh, the American consumer. And he was a married guy with family, so he he wanted to be able to do it, but he couldn't really. Um, so I kind of with really with the faith of like knowing that you know. Um, if it was right, it would happen. You know, God would make a way for it to work. And I basically then set off on this journey of um, developing, you know, selling this brand in America, basically, against all the odds, actually. I had no experience of it. Um, and 
Uh, I had people, including my father and other people I knew well in my industry saying, you know, that <laughs> you, it's way too risky. Um, you know, um, it's, you know, it's not going to work. Um, but I found that I started to do, I, I was making these trips to America and starting to try and sell this product to American retailers who were people like me, because I was the retailer in the UK. So I was mm -hmm. selling to people like me. And, um, and it started to work. We started to sell and um, doors opened, basically. I, I can remember that because you, you came to stay with me. You, you basically, it was a blank sheet from what I remember. I mean, yeah. I was living in New Hampshire at, when, at that time. And you came and stayed with me. And we sort of scoped out a few posh towns as, where there might be, you know, sort of shops that could could stock these these pants um, and we settled on Newport Rhode Island I think and Newburyport Massachusetts oh was it okay so <laughs> that's Newburyport Massachusetts and I remember just dropping you off outside the shop <laughs> and that was it you know and you just walked in with a, a, a sampling thing and a pair of pants and <laughs> ready to engage in conversation it just seemed to start from there amazing yeah yeah that was it and that so the that shop um in Newburyport um I, I chatted I had a couple of long conversations with the owner and then and I was really doing market research just to see if this product would sell in America to people like him yeah as I was leaving his store the second occasion um, probably going to go and grab a coffee and a burger with yourself. Um, he just said, "Oh, by the way, I'm I'm part of the biggest buying group of stores in America. Would you like an introduction to the guy that runs it uh, in New York?" And of course, I said, uh, "Yes, please." Accordingly, <laughs> I found myself. I drove to New York and had a meeting with this guy um, who was, you know, has owned this big buying group. And from and that was one of the big doors that opened for me. Yeah. Um, and then that led to an in, various introductions through him um, to other people in the in the industry, and then you know eventually doing a, our first trade show in New York, and that's when the business really started to to be launched, basically. And uh, when we when we did, we, I I actually thought that this business would be years in the planning and getting finance and working out our marketing and everything. And we just basically just um, jumped on a plane and <laughs> arrived in New York with, with suitcases full of samples and did a trade show and, and, um, and started doing business. And when we started taking our initial orders from some very good stores around America, um, we didn't even know how we were going to deliver. We didn't know how we were going to ship these trousers or these pants. Um, you know, we, we, we just, everything was just like, we'll, 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 we'll take this step and then we'll worry about the next step later. Wow. Um, and uh, so just tell me the name of your company again. People might be interested. Uh, Maya. So my company is called Maya MMX LLC. So I import this brand of um, pants called Maya anyway. -E okay. So now we'll move on to the, the faith. Okay. We took a short break there. Have you noticed the, the uh, picture jump suddenly? Um, 
so why don't we go back now to your your story and faith so I, it, I, it occurred to me as we were talking about this you know you were in a bad way did did they have any idea what caused you to to be like that um, um actually there was no real kind of in-depth investigation or diagnosis really yeah. by doctors and i did see a few um but you know looking back i would say that um you know i was um as a child even from my earliest memories i was a very i was quite a neurotic child um i was i was unhappy and um fearful i actually had a trouble sleeping even when i was very young okay um, so and i was very anxious um and there were you know i there was there was there was talk about seeing therapists and so forth when i was 11 or 12 years old but it, we never did it yeah um so that was within me and i was i was an incredibly um i was very dishonest you know i was i was a, something of a kind of um you know what's that word like a pathological I, you know i just i was always telling stories that weren't true okay and i was a very selfish self-centered individual um and i did you know i started you know drinking too much when i was quite young um which helped me to deal with the kind of anxiety really and the, and yeah. the depression um and i did and i and i took i did get involved in drugs later on in my when I was at university and things like that, yeah. um, which then obviously that exacerbated the what the kind of mental kind of state that the neurosis I suppose that I had um, always as I was growing up, you know, then then that um, just exacerbated it really. Right. So by the time I was 23, then I was you know incarcerated, um, and I think I'm not an expert, but I believe that the kind of degree of mental illness goes from neurosis to psychosis to uh, psychopath so i went from neurosis to psychosis wow um and that is a, it's an organic thing as well i think and uh, yeah i think that's what kind of led to it really gosh so um and no faith from at all no belief in god no uh, you i'd say agnostic I, my my kind of religious upbringing i was christened um in the anglican church okay uh, i think that's just a cultural thing you know, i was born in the early 70s and i think you know most people did that yeah um i went to a church of england school when i was a kid um but i you know i never my parents never went to church or anything like that but we would we would probably describe ourselves as, as christians but with no kind of working faith I, the only time i ever went into a church was for a wedding or a funeral um and until i you know then met david and, and, and went through through the process so i was a i was agnostic who constantly would often ponder these things you know, I was a bit of a, you know, I, th I would definitely think of myself as being a bit of a deep thinker and I was always pondering, you know, why, but I, I always kind of thought, why, why is this, why, why do I struggle so much? Why am I so unhappy? Why did my dear mother, who was a good person, die when, you know, she was quite young and she suffered and so forth. So I just wondered, you know, why, you know, if there is a God, why is it just so much of heartache in the world? That was my 
feeling really. Okay, and so you started this process. I, I was atheist as well, so I'm guessing you did the sort of uh, you you were desperate enough to be willing to believe that there might be something and yeah. did the actions uh, through David's influence. Um, so how did you go from there to being received into the church? Um, well, I did the, I did the process um, very, very thoroughly. Mm. And that, you know, most definitely opened me up to God. Um, by the time I'd done that, the full process, which I said was about 18 months, you know, I had a pretty good faith. Um, you know, I, I had, I was definitely developing a relationship with God mm. through the process. And then I was actually invited to go to uh, the, or the London Oratory um, with a, with a, uh, another guy who, who I shared a house with, who was who, someone else who had done the process, was doing it, and was in, interested in Catholicism. And one Sunday morning, he just asked me if I wanted to join him going to, to Mass at the London Oratory. Um, I had just started to investigate religions. Um, at, I'd asked David about it. I knew he was Catholic. Um, and I'd asked him about like joining a religion. You know, I was like, I, was, I, I wanted to, I wanted to join a religion basically. And my first port of call was the Anglican Church. I went to a service in London, and um, I have to say, I, I didn't like it. Um, I, 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 I found it quite cold actually, um, and I didn't want to go back, um, and, and I didn't. And then. Um, there I was a couple of weeks later with my, my um, housemate asking me if I wanted to go along to, to Mass at the London Oratory. And I'd never been to, I'd never even set foot in the Catholic Church before. And we went and, um, you know, the, the, the liturgy is, is, is incredible there and the, and the actual church is, is beautiful. And I was kind of awestruck, really. Um, it was almost overwhelming. <laughs> And um, I and I was just amazed that something like that, um, so majestic and beautiful, was happening in the middle of London in in the late 1990s. It, it seemed like something out of a out of a film to me. It was it was incredible, um, and I was kind of somewhat captivated, really, um, by by the whole thing. And um, so I found myself then two or three weeks later thinking, you know, I. I want to go back there, you know. I, I want to have that experience again because it was, it was quite kind of heavenly, you know. It was, it was incredible. This beautiful um, music, polyphony, um, and 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 the sight of seeing the the church was was jam packed, which must be seven or eight hundred people. Seeing them all on their knees at the same time at certain parts of the mass had, was um, made a huge impression on me. Because I knew the, the importance of kneeling for prayer, I knew that, um, and so I found myself just kind of going back every every now and then, and, and just really enjoying the experience of being at that mass and, and coming out, you know, feeling just very, very kind of uplifted and at peace. And and you were you were going there, and David as as well at the time, and another couple of guys, and. Um, We'd go and have some lunch after, yeah. and it was very enjoyable. 
And, uh, you know, I loved it. You know, that was something I never, would never have imagined myself doing, going to a, a beautiful mass like that and then going and having some nice lunch after. Um, and, and I just kept doing that for a little while. Mm. But I guess I have very fond memories of, the, of that, that sort of Sunday routine. Uh, we used to go to this rotisserie, <laughs> the same place, drink coffee, have chicken. Yeah. <laughs> With a very limited menu, and then just sit and talk for an hour and a half or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was great, absolutely yeah. great. Yeah. So, how how about how long had you been? Um, how long after that first meeting with David did you come into the church? And for me, it was about five years. Or right. Oh. So I I went through this period for about one year. Was it about one year? Maybe a little bit less where I was sporadically attending mass, going and having chicken and coffee and talking. Yeah. In the meantime, David had died. Um, and then um, after about one year or so, maybe a little bit less, um, I decided that I wanted to, um, you know, take it further, basically. Um, I remember having a conversation with yourself and, and I just said, um, you know, I feel a little bit, I must have gone to mass a dozen times or 15 times by this point at least. And, um, and I was starting to feel um, left out, you know, almost awkward because everybody was participating in the mass and I was, mm. I didn't really know what was going on. Um, and I remember, I think uh, I got, I was given a book um, which is a great book called We Believe by Monsignor Gilby, which is a kind of catechism of the faith. And I started to read that. And at the same time, I was introduced to a very good oratorian priest um, who then agreed to give me kind of one-to-one -one instruction. So that when I met uh, Father Ronald, uh, Father Ronald Crichton Job, that was... And he's starting to instruct me. It was probably about three, three to three to four years after I initially met David. Okay. And then I used to meet Father Ronald maybe maybe weekly actually um, for a period of about one year as he instructed me on the faith. And I was received into the church um, in two uh, nineteen ninety. Probably about four, yeah, four to five years after the initial meeting with with David about two to three years after I'd completed the, the process. Right. And that's still a, a, a strong part of your, your life, isn't it? Yes, yeah, it's the strongest part of my life, yeah. Yeah. Um, great. Uh, and I, I think that's we're kind of finished. Is there anything else you want to just tell us of your impressions of the, this process or...? Anything that you'd say to anyone who's thinking about doing it and the, the gift? Um, what would I say? Well, it, it, it most definitely works. It's, it's been incredible. Um, it's been incredibly powerful in my life. It's, you know, I do feel, um, you know, I'm, I'm a genuinely happy person, you know, consistently so, um, you know, I, which is incredible for someone like me. And, and it's resolved all those kind of problems that I had, um, like depression and um, insomnia, right. anxiety, you know, um, all of that is resolved um, completely. And, um, you know, I, 
I do think, you know, I am confident and I can go and do things in my business career and so forth that, you know, it just would have been a million miles away from being able to do without, without this process and without my faith. Um, so yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's, the, it's the greatest gift ever. <laughs> yes. And it's, it's the unexpected gift, isn't it? It's not, yeah. Um, I I always think that from my own perspective, I, I didn't know what po- uh, happiness as a sort of positive thing was. All I could imagine it was the absence of misery, really. Um, yeah. If this wasn't in my life, if I could, if I didn't do this, or I, if if I could be free of this, it would be great. But this was something different. It it added something. It not only removed the negatives. It it placed something good into my life that was uh, an entity in itself, more than the absence of bad. And, yeah. and it's funny because philosophically, um, you know, I've learned that uh, if we say ugliness is just a privation of beauty. It is, it's a, it's something isn't as beautiful as it ought to be. But my perception of, of the good and the, tr- you know, the beautiful, shall we say, before I came to the faith, was philosophically inverted you know that for me the the entities were the were the, the the negative ones and i could only imagine something good as the absence of what is bad <laughs> yeah. um which just really says what my horizons were like at that time um why did why did you just tell us um people might want to get pairs of these pants i mean they are incredibly elegant <laughs> promote your business um where can they get hold of them uh you can get hold of them online with our through our website okay so what's the what's the, the address of the website that is www.meyer m-e-y-e-r dash hosen h-o-s-e-n hosen. Dot com. <laughs> really dash hosen I'm, yeah, I'm okay. German for trousers. Yeah. MeyerHosen.com. Okay. Well, Jim, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you, and uh, I can't wait to see you soon. Why don't you come up and see us in San Francisco? Yeah, sounds good to me. I'll be up there. <laughs> okay. All the best. Thank you. You too. You've been listening to the Way of Beauty podcast, conversations on Catholic faith and culture. If you enjoyed this episode, then please give us a five-star review on iTunes. This will help others to find it too. Also, if you are interested in delving more deeply into the material that we discuss, you can do a course at the Pontifex University website. That's pontifex.university.